who am I if I'm not a lawyer? And if I feel like my worth is somehow tied to what I do as a job, like what, what, what does that mean? How did that happen? And is that serving me? Welcome to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. Thank you. I am super excited to be here. <laughs> so I have to ask you, do you mind me saying you are a lawyer? Because I know that you hate practicing. <laughs> um, well, it's so interesting because people have very strong feelings both about whether they are a lawyer or not. And then also people have very strong feelings about the term former lawyer, which mm -hmm. of course my podcast, former lawyer podcast, yeah. I guess... I think of myself as a former lawyer. Okay. So there's a degree to which I think once you have gone through the law school experience and then become a lawyer, like there is something about it that <laughs> it changes you. Absolutely. And so there are things that are true about you that wouldn't be true about you if you had not gone through that experience. But as a general rule, like I don't walk around introducing myself to yeah. people as a lawyer because why? And I'm yes. that because my podcast is You Are a Lawyer, and I will tell you all day long, I'm a lawyer, I'm a graduate of law school. I don't tell mm. people I'm a lawyer because I don't need to say, oh, cool, can you recommend so-and-so? No. Oh, can you go to court for me for this? No, I don't practice. Mm. <laughs> but for yeah. me, like, I went through such like a depression and a hard time after law school and failing the bar. I had to be like, Kyla, but the debt is worth it. You are a lawyer. You're just not practicing, right? And so I had to, like, it was a mantra to myself. So I work with people who are lawyers who want to do something else other than practice law. And one of the things that they end up having to deal with the most, and this was something that I had to deal with also, is how much of your identity gets wrapped up in being able to say, I'm a lawyer. And, you know, I think some people will be like, you shouldn't care what people think. And like, well, but it's like, but it makes sense. Yeah. Because you know, for example, like if you tell someone I'm a lawyer, they're just, there's a whole set of like things about you that they can just sort of like know based on that statement. And so that's why for people who decide they want to do something else, sometimes one of the, the most difficult things, often one of the most difficult things is like working through this question of like, who am I if I'm not a lawyer? And if I feel like, which is true for many of my clients, if I feel like my worth is somehow tied to what I do as a job. Like, what does that mean? How did that happen? And is that serving me? Because it's it's about so much more than like, how do you get a paycheck? Mm -hmm. Lawyers, our job gets so enmeshed in our personality and everything. I don't know where that comes from, right? Is it from law school? Is it from the bar exam? Like what? I think there are a couple of things. So one, I think that like from the moment you decide to go to law school, there's so much about law school and the legal profession that centers around like what is prestigious, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you need to like take the LSAT and get a certain score and go to a certain school and the schools are ranked, although obviously there's been some like movement on that front lately. There's always this idea of like this is what is best and like everything is ranked and there's like a path and it's like you go to law school for a certain number of years and then you take the bar and then you do the thing. So one, I think a lot of decision making around what you should do as a law student and then as a lawyer is driven by this artificial system that is constructed around this idea of like what is and is not prestigious. Yeah. And also, I think a lot of the people who choose to go to law school, 
and I count myself among them to be clear. I'm not a lot of us were people who like we worked we worked hard in school. We were like the kid who like was like always trying to do like all the things. And in a lot of cases, there's also depending on the person, there might be some like family pressure in terms of like, well, this is the kind of job that you should have or that you should go do. And so you end up with a lot of people whose personality tends tends toward perfectionism and people pleasing. And then you put them in this environment that's like, we will now measure your worth based on your level of prestige. And the combination I just think is particularly unfortunate. (laughs) That's an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that. So typically high achieving or multitasking kids and then you put them in this situation with all these other people, you add the competition or not, right? It might be just an internal competition with yourself to get a Cali award or whatever. And it's just like a breeding ground for us being like wrapped up in it. Yeah. And you said you included yourself in that. So you were that multitasking, (laughs) high achieving child. (laughs) I was the like quintessential oldest daughter, rule follower, like smart kid, do a, took all the like, you know, advanced classes, did all the yeah. things, like valedictorian in my high school, like just that was me. Okay. And I went to undergrad, I was a, a liberal arts major. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. When I graduated, I first thought I wanted to go to DC, I went to undergrad in Richmond, Virginia. And also a lot of people go from there to DC. And then I realized sort of halfway through undergrad that DC was like a very specific environment. And I just was like, did not actually want to be about politics all the time. Yeah. And I was sort of like, oh, what am I going to do with this international studies and leadership studies double major? And law school, I think, is like for people in that in that sort of position is like a very safe path. You know, like there's you can do anything with a law degree that for a lot of us who who are like, okay, I achieve and I do and I am good at school. It's like, yes, sign me up for more school. That sounds great because that's what I know. And so I think there wasn't a lot of thought on my end about like, what is it going to actually look like to be a lawyer? And is that well suited to like my values, my personality, my strengths, like my temperament, what I like? I was much more used to like mind over matter. You decide what you're going to do and you do it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter how you feel about it or what you think about it. You just like do the thing. Yeah, same, which is kind of weird. So we're not recording the video, but like I'm sitting here with like curly bangs and two buns and like being my creative self, right? Like I go out to the store with my husband and he's like, you're almost 40. Why is your hair like that? I'm like, why not? Who cares? But like I had that crazy creative, went to a creative middle school, elementary school side, but then the rule following side always out one everything. It's like, I want to go to law school. Okay. But then I get a job and then I start doing this, but law school was still in the back of my mind because I told myself mind over matter, I was going to do it. So I got to do it. And it keeps coming up. I'm working for five years and I'm like, okay, I'm going to just go. I'm 28 years old. Let's do it. Had no idea what I was going to do afterwards. I thought I Mm -hmm. wanted to do environmental law, but I didn't know enough lawyers to know what Mm -hmm. the day to day would be like. Yes. Right. And then I didn't know any big law lawyers. So I get to big law hiding on my tattoos and then you meet a couple partners who have tattoos and then I start being myself and then I start a podcast and I'm like I can make as much money if not more but be who I am and tap into that other side right and it's like 
if we're still the rule followers, now that we write our own rules, what does that mean? Mm. That's what I've been like dealing with in these last couple of years. Cause it's like, I'm still both sides. I just get to yeah. decide what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. So many things to say about what you just said. My little like side rant, which is yeah. also a main rant for me, <laughs> is big law in particular, I think is structured. Like it is built like a machine. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the individuals who work in big law are just like widgets, right? And the problem with that is widgets having human needs makes it very difficult. Widgets who in any way are outside of like the box, whatever the box is for big law, creates friction. And so it is often very difficult, and especially when you have people who show up after having gone through like three years of law school and being told like, this is the pinnacle, like you have arrived. People sort of have this, often have this response of like, oh, I thought this was like where I arrived, but now this feels kind of weird. For many of us, like to your point about like being able to be yourself, I think a lot of people who start on the law school path have this idea of like someday... I will be able to like not just be this like achievement machine mm-hmm. and we're the ones who have to ultimately decide like I'm not going to be an achievement machine. Yeah. Or that we don't want the achievement machine. Not that it's wrong. Right. But that we don't want it. Like a very narrow idea of like what achievement is. And like to your point, I didn't know any lawyers. Yeah. I had no idea what it would look like to be a lawyer day to day. I mean, honestly, when I look back, I'm like, I didn't even know how much lawyers made. I didn't know that big law was a thing when I started law school. Like I, in retrospect, I'm like, what did I know? (laughs) Like what? Basically, I was like, I like research and writing. Constitutional law is cool, which, you know, fine, cool, true, but like maybe not enough to know like this is a good path. And so I think that once you sort of get into the conveyor belt of the law profession, deviating from sort of whatever the like recommended path is definitely takes some effort, especially if you're someone who has been conditioned to just be like, okay, just do the next thing, do the next thing. What's the next thing? And often for people who come on my podcast, who've left into do other things or people who I work with, and this is true of my story as well, like often what has to happen is something knocks you off whatever the path is that you thought you were supposed to be on which can often feel really terrible, but actually for a lot of people ends up being like the thing that helps them like break free. Yeah. So two questions and then we'll come back to that. If you didn't know any lawyers and you weren't quite sure what was going to happen afterwards, did you grow up advocating for your younger sisters? Like were you the, you know, cheering for the underdog type person? So I'm the oldest. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. And I would say I was like the responsible one not that they were irresponsible but i was the person who like always knew what the rules were and always knew it needed to be done and like got whatever needed to be done done you know i look back at myself like in high school and i'm just like i literally don't know how i did all the things that i did and like led all the things that i led it was like energy of youth but i also did care a lot about everyone's viewpoint everyone's opinion and everyone being heard And so that was something that was definitely true about me, even from a young age, like if I was in a group of people, not even necessarily in like a forceful way, but I was just always aware of like, who wasn't being heard, who needed to be heard, who needed to be brought in. Yeah, (laughs) you wanted it to be like an equitable situation. Yeah. 
So I asked that because I grew up the only girl but the middle child. So mm. I didn't, I mean, you know, I was like the special butterfly because I was the only girl. So I didn't really <laughs> have to be bossy, but I was bossy because I was the only one. Like I was the only, so it was. I was very bossy. Okay. <laughs> but I grew up advocating like crazy. And I created this podcast because I wanted someone to tell me, you know, you can advocate without going to law school. I had mm. been advocating for years and I had no idea. And so like, that's why I created this because like 65% of the audience is law students and the rest is young lawyers. And it's just like to let them know that you can do anything. I mean, I'm not trying to tell yeah. you to run out of law school, but I'm also saying like, you've already been doing the things you can keep doing right. them possibly without the debt. Now, if you could go completely yeah. for free and all of that, yeah. that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that comes up the most with my clients, even when they're thinking about doing something else other than law is like, we have such narrow ideas of how we can do certain things. So for example, like a lot of people who choose to go to law school and then decide they don't want to practice law went because they really wanted to help people. Like that's something that I would would have said was a big part of my motivation. And that was true for a lot of other people as well. A lot of people have been on the podcast and who I work with. And there are lots of different ways to help people, right? But for various reasons, many of us who went to law school got sort of like locked in on like, this is the best way or this is the one way. And I think a huge part of figuring out like what is really going to be a good fit for you is asking yourself, like when I say, when I tell myself or think about the fact that I want to help people, what does that mean for me? What does that look like? Because that can look a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. And even like people can find helping people fulfilling for very different reasons and understanding your specific reasons and what motivates you and what aligns with your values. Like to your point, like you don't have to be a lawyer in order to help people. You don't have to be a lawyer in order to advocate for people. And in fact, in many ways, being a lawyer, while it can be very powerful, is also very restrictive in the sense that like, if you're talking about practicing law, it's very circumscribed, like what it is that you can actually do, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I've had people on my podcast who have come on and have moved into other roles in the same field, because they wanted to continue helping people in that field. But doing so as a lawyer meant they could only do certain things and not other things. And so I think there is this idea sometimes of being a lawyer is what gives you the most options and like other things give you less options, but that's not really true. It's like there are all different sorts of options and practicing law is one of them, mm -hmm. but there are lots of other things you can do as a law student or as a young lawyer. It might even that be is, the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. You go to law school, you learn how to write a memo. It has to be on size 14 yellow paper. It's actually super restrictive. It, right? Yes. So. Yes. And even like working with clients and the ways that you can work with clients, obviously like very well defined by all sorts of things, including ethical rules. And I'm not saying like, if you're not a lawyer, like throw ethics out the window, obviously not, but more, more so like if you're someone, for example, who's going to find it more satisfying to function in a role that's more like, say, a social worker role, then being a lawyer in that context is probably not going to feel great. Because you, your role as the lawyer is not the role of someone who is a social worker or a therapist or an organizer or like all of these other potential things that you might do. Which is true. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a negative, right? You're not saying that in a negative way, that being a social worker is less than or better than no. being a social worker or a counselor or even a podcaster. It's just that they're right. different. Yes. But 
to your earlier point, it's so hard for lawyers to get that because we're like lawyer or bust. Like that's mm-hmm. it. And it's like, no, it's lawyer and. Yes. <laughs> and that's yes. what we're trying to get people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think law school is so hard and practicing law is so difficult and being in a big law context. I mean, anyone who listens to my podcast knows my feelings about big law. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty much the worst. And here's the problem with like really difficult environments. In order to function in a difficult environment, you have to tell yourself things in order to like keep going. And I find that in the legal profession, especially when we're talking about big law, there are these myths that get like sort of like repeated and reinforced of like, this is the most interesting work that you're going to do. This is the best work that you're going to do. And like anything else is essentially beneath this. And there is also this sense often of almost like not doing this or not being a lawyer is like a step down to your Mm -hmm. point. And it's not, it's just a different type of role, but there is this need to re there's this like self-fulfilling cycle within the legal profession where there is this need to reinforce the message of like, honestly, it's like a little bit of like a superiority complex. It is Like something about a, something about being a lawyer makes you better than other people. And that explains why you have a lot of lawyers who are really terrible to work with and be around. And it also is just like, it's just not true. Right. But when you're in that lawyer bubble, when you're in that law school bubble where everyone is like, I mean, everyone is trying to go in that direction. It is really hard to feel like that's true. Do you know what I mean? No, I do. Because if you feel a different way, you're the exception. You're not the Mm -hmm. rule, right? Earlier you said it was a conveyor belt. And I've had a couple of guests say that it's the law school conveyor belt because earlier you said you work with clients and you're like, well, how do you feel? And what would you want to do? And what do you think about that? That's the part that we stop doing after we Mm -hmm. take the LSAT. Mm -hmm. After the LSAT, your biggest choice is which school, right? right? You're not really thinking about well, what? Okay. So 15 years after graduation, what do I want to be doing? You're thinking, oh my God, got to go to this school or, oh, my options only have me in these schools and then this and then this and then this, right? Even with big law, my law school roommate always wanted to go to big law. She couldn't wait to do corporate law. Oh my gosh, she can't wait. It'll be amazing. Well, (laughs) I just worked in corporations for five years. That was exactly what I did not want, which Mm -hmm. is also why when I ended up there, I didn't know what to expect. And so I was like, oh, I can do this. And five years later, I'm like, oh, I got to go. I got to go now. (laughs) I was like, if I'm here, if I give it one more month, I will be here for 25 years. I was like, no, I got to go now. (laughs) Um, But I say that because your podcast, you practice, you were a litigator for 10 years. And then Actually, or at the same time, I'm not sure. You started the Former Lawyer podcast in 2019. Yes. Was that while you were practicing or after you had left? So it was after. So I graduated from law school in 2008, and then I left my last legal job in the summer of 2018 when my youngest was born. And then I started the podcast in the summer of 2019. Okay. And so... 2008, huge mortgage crisis and stuff in the world. I'm sure people were like, get whatever job you can take and just hold on to it. Yeah. So it's interesting because my summer, I summered in 2007 and it was still like the wild big lawness. My summer class at the firm that I summered at was 100 summer associates, 100, which is like almost inconceivable now, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, things have rebounded some 
so I graduated, had my offer and started practicing. Uh, and then basically everything went super sideways. And it just so happened that I was on this gigantic case that was frankly a total nightmare. But as like the waves of like layoffs and such such rolled through, basically everyone who was on this case was safe because mm. it was such a nightmare. There was so much work that like everyone was safe. And the thing about that that was so weird was everyone was so miserable on this case. And at the same time, of course, you had like so much sympathy and compassion for people who are being let go because of the external financial mortgage crisis, etc. So it's the, it was this weird, almost like survivor's guilt of like, I don't want to be here. This sucks. And also, I feel like I should be so grateful. And I am grateful. It was a thing. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. It's complicated. Yeah. And so did you pay off the $400,000 in debt while you were working? Or have you done that since leaving the law? So we, so my husband and I met in law school. It was not my intention to marry a lawyer, but you know, <laughs> I didn't here know we are. that. Somehow I missed yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. So we met in law school and both had law school loans. And so we paid off our loans and like a little bit of consumer debt and whatnot, tiny bit of undergrad debt, that 400K, like basically right before I left. So okay. it was like June of 2018. So basically 10 years out from law school. And there are lots of different schools of thought about how to handle your loans. And I certainly wouldn't tell anyone like the way that we did it is like the only way, mm -hmm. um, especially I think like as time has gone on and the amount of money you have to borrow to go to law school now proportionally yeah. is like even more atrocious than it was when we went to law school. But yeah, basically I had told myself like I could leave when we paid off our loans Okay. Whether that was actually the necessary other question. So we paid them off and I was like, oh, okay. Now it's like you're going to follow your own. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Bye. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. Right before, well, two years before a huge, ginormous, life changing pandemic hits the world and you're like, <sighs> yeah. Can yeah. you imagine? And then you would have been stuck again. Like, I'm still here and now the world mm. is different and I have to do it at home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say, so for me, I was in big law for three years and then I left. I spent a year at a legal publisher and then I went and um, I took a job as a staff attorney at a state appellate court for okay. the last six years of practice. Okay. And it, like, if there was going to be a lawyer job that was going to be a job, the job for me, it was that job. I have so many great things to say about it. Obviously, working for the state is not in any way similar financially to working uh, for private industry, but in terms of like work-life balance, in terms of like the work itself, I didn't hate my life, Yeah, which, you know, I basically did as many people do as a litigator in big law. And honestly, that's part of what really settled my conviction that I did not want to continue practicing law because I, it was it would it was one thing to be in a job that was like everything about this is terrible and i just went out but even in a situation where it was like this is about as good as it gets for me when it comes to legal practice i still was like i cannot see myself doing this in the long long term okay. um and so that to me was like okay yeah i really need to do something else gotcha i love that okay and did your husband practice does he practice 
He did. So, I mean, a big part of why I was able to leave Big Law and go to the legal publisher, which pays on like a publishing scale, not on a legal practice mm-hmm. scale, was because my husband also worked in Big Law at the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so we've so- sort of like traded back and forth over time. So I left. He was in Big Law. I went to the legal publisher. He went to a different large law firm. I went to the court. He was working for it a nightmare and he ended up getting a job at the court. So then we actually were working at the same place for the second time. Cause we actually started the same law firm out of law school. That was not intentional. It just happened that way anyway. Um, and then we were both the, the court. He, when our first was born, worked from home for a bit, came back to the court, went back to a law firm. I left law and he actually a year and a half ago now left his job in big law and now is with a legal tech company. He um, has like a software computer programming background. And so um, we are now both former lawyers and ultimately that was the goal like from the beginning, but you know, it's a, it's a process. It's a process. Um, And so lawyers. Yeah. That's a lot of unpacking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I will say like, um, and I, I have sh- said this to other people, but like being with someone who was also a lawyer and also felt the way that I did about the legal profession was very helpful because it can be very easy to feel like I'm crazy. Like I've spent all this time, uh, like why, what's wrong with me? There's a, um, a lot of people like it will come up where they feel like they have the sense of like, oh, can I, is it just that I like can't hack it? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just like, no, this does not align with my values and with who I am oh, slash in many cases, like, no, this is just like an objectively bad situation. And having that sounding board of someone who like really understood was really helpful. And honestly, that's part of why a big part of my business is the podcast. So like sharing stories that people can hear to help them feel less alone. And then, um, the part of my, uh, business that is like a group program, because mm-hmm. I just like, I just don't think it can be overstated how important it is for lawyers to know or law students to know, like, you are not the only one who feels this way. Yeah. You feel like you are, but you aren't. In fact, you probably are more the rule than the exception, even yeah. though no one talks about it. No one talks about it. And so I started this podcast in 2020. April 2020. And I was like, there were a few out there, but I was like, where's the thing that I want to talk about? Right. Like Mm. I didn't want to, I hate the bar exam podcast because it wasn't that. And then I had (laughs) far enough to be a former lawyer podcast because I (laughs) passed the bar. So I was like, I need something in the middle. But I asked my mom and she's not a lawyer, but I was just like, mom, like, did you hate your job when you were working? You know, like you were Mm. a school teacher and you did something else. And she was like, well, I don't remember thinking about it. I don't, I just don't think there was really the choice. I think we just kind of went to work and that's just what we did. Cause you know, people always bring up all these statistics of, oh, people worked for 30 and 45 years at the same place. Mm. And she's like, we didn't really think about going somewhere else, but also, you know, industry changes. There were multiple jobs out there, but you weren't really going to just jump somewhere else. And then, she also told me that people just didn't talk about it. So I'm mm. like, okay, I got to talk to Sarah, who talks to four <laughs> lawyers. You talk to like 190 of them. And a lot of the time you talk about, I hate being a lawyer, or do you want to run from being a lawyer? But it's not, that's not always the case, right? A lot of times people just want to know what else they can do because they just don't see it somewhere else. 
right? You're yeah. not going to really go to your colleague and say, hey, do you want to leave? I'll leave if you leave. Like your situation with yeah. your husband is very, very special <laughs> because yeah. yes. you're not going to tell, that person's going to go and tell a partner and then now they're getting all your cases. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I joke, but it's serious that like every lawyer thinks they're going to get fired when someone finds out they don't want to be a lawyer. But it's also extremely true and so many things. So one, I think that like there are a lot of norms that were true about work, say like 50 plus years ago or even like 30 years ago, where uh, like the expectations that my parents' generation, the boomers, had for what work was going to look like, what it would be, it's very different from someone. So I'm a Xennial, so in between Gen X and millennial or like just on the cusp Um, and certainly younger millennials and, and even like Gen Z and whatnot, um, the children, like the expectations are so different. I think in terms of very few jobs come with pensions. Now that's a huge Mm -hmm. part of what held people in jobs, right? Because guaranteed pension was a thing that was a big part of it. The like huge rise in like, you know, electronic communication, email, et cetera. Like these things that have made the way that we work very different has also made work encroach a lot more. There's a lot more like not being able to leave work at work. And I think also like there, a lot of my clients will will be like, I feel utterly miserable. I feel like I'm being crushed in this job, but is this just what it is to be an adult with a, a job? Like, mm. like no one really likes working. Right. And I, I, I think that it's important for lawyers to hear that, yes, a job is a job, even a job that you love, even like even Even being, yeah, Yeah. even podcasting and like working with lawyers and getting to do this thing, which is like so crazy, amazing to me that I get to do this. Like there's still times where it's like, this is a drag. But there's a difference between every moment of life is not going to be like the highest of the high and every moment of a job is not going to be the highest of the high. And like I am being like emotionally battered and crushed by the inhumanity of the system that I'm working in. And I think that there are so many people who are practicing law or even in law school who talk to family and friends about being unhappy and super well-meaning family and friends who, like are not trying to like mislead them, but don't have a complete understanding of like how bad it can yeah. be. And so say things like, oh, well, you know, like no one likes their job or whatever, which is like maybe in a certain sense true, but also like they don't have like firsthand knowledge that you have lawyer who might be listening or law student to know what it's actually like. And I think as law students and lawyers, we have been trained out of actually trusting ourselves. Mm -hmm. We've been trained to trust like external authorities. And the reality is that like feeling like you are being crushed by your job is not just how everyone feels about their job. And if someone tells you like, well, I don't like my job, that's a different experience from like, I feel like my soul is being crushed. Yeah, there's degrees to it because soul crushing is a a definite feeling. (laughs) Yeah. It is a hundred percent. I didn't feel it at my big law office, but I felt it at offices before where you're just like, can I get fired today? Like I'm begging, like, what can I do to just, and 
Mm-hmm. It's a whole different, there's degrees to it. And there's a difference between like being absolutely miserable and like the Monday scaries. And like, there's just, there's degrees. So even if someone tells yeah. you they don't like their job as well, you can probe for more details. <laughs> yeah. Um. But to your point where lawyers are like talked out of trusting themselves, it's because we learn how to negotiate. And so every mm-hmm. time you say, I really want to go start a podcast. Oh, but I committed to this, but I'm paying for mm. law school. Oh, but I did. You're constantly negotiating with yourself and you're telling yourself, no, that thought was wrong. And really, mm-hmm. like you never had the time to sit down and say, well, what would it look like if I left? You can't even fathom it because, again, somebody's going to see it on your face and then they're going to think you're trying to leave. Like, right. We do actively stop ourselves. And every time you negotiate with yourself, you're beating down on that trust. And it's it makes it so much harder for you to get out of it. And then eventually you find Sarah's podcast and then you work with her. <laughs> Well, and the thing is too, like a lot of people who go to law school already have a personality that is risk averse, at least with respect to certain things like their career. Um, And then you go, you're in a profession where you, and even just in law school where you're just like constantly reading about and hearing about like the worst case scenarios of like when things like really went off the rails. And so you're you're being conditioned into the assumption that the absolute worst can happen because sometimes it does right but because we see that so much either in law school or in practicing law it starts to feel like the worst case scenario is the most likely scenario and that makes it really hard to do anything that doesn't involve risk like thinking about doing something else for a career because we're basically reinforcing for our brain to like basically latch onto the worst case scenario and assume that it is more likely than it maybe actually is. I've never heard it said that way. So I'm going to ask this quick question before I forget. Did you do any kind of formal like counseling training for your coaching program that you do? Well, I've personally been in therapy for 10 years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's just separate. Like highly recommend. I always say on the podcast, like if you are a lawyer please see a therapist like I do not care who you are or how even how you feel about your job I guarantee you like you see a therapist yeah I have myself have done some like training a particularly around like what is coaching versus what is consulting versus what is something that needs to be referred out to a counselor and in fact a big part of like the work that I do especially with my clients who I work with one-on-one is like okay, we're going to work through this framework. We're going to work through this process to figure out what it is that you want to do. But also like being very clear about like, what is something that someone can coach you on versus, you know, here's something that keeps coming up. It seems like maybe this is part of like, what is making it difficult to like make this change or to think about what you want. And like, that would be a great thing to talk about with your therapist because in part, also just for me now, having been in therapy for so many years, I think like I have a reasonable, like lived experience sense of like, what is something wh- like, wh- when are we getting towards something that is probably better addressed mm-hmm. by a therapist than by a coach or just like a, a peer? Um, okay. Does that answer your question? It does. And I asked because I was curious about if you had any formal training or if this was just, you know, school of hard knocks learning <laughs> because... That's pretty much what I had. I've been in therapy for about five years and maybe longer, but I went because I was upset with my job and I wanted to talk Mm. about taking the bar exam again. Mm. And my therapist is like, great, let's talk about your childhood. I was like, no, I want to talk about work. (laughs) 
like, they're actually intertwined. I was like, yeah, always. They're always. Oh, oh my, my goodness. Gosh. So to that point, yes, all of yes. should go to therapy because I was yes. like, this isn't what I'm here for. I had a list of stuff. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 we're not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let me just tell you, if you are someone who feels like your identity is wrapped up in your job, who feels like you need to do things perfectly, who has a hard time setting boundaries at work, who uh, feels like you're the only one and there's something wrong with you because you don't want to be doing, don't want to be practicing law, like any of those things, I guarantee you you should talk to a therapist and you probably need to talk to them among other things about like family of origin. And not to say like your family was terrible, but just like the things that you absorb as a kid Mm -hmm. when your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed define in many ways, how you think about like, what is work? What is a job? What, like, how should I function in a job? What does it say about me? Um, All of that stuff. Yes. Just basically go to therapy. (laughs) Because it's all intertwined. It really is. So I got to ask, why did you start your podcast? And did you intend for it to always be interviewing other people? Or did you want it to just be you ranting? So I, the original reason I started the podcast was specifically because I knew that there were lots of lawyers who had gone on to do other things. But when I actually wanted to like get real information about like, okay, but what can I do that isn't being a lawyer, you know, like Googling alternative careers for lawyers. And there'd be like a list. It would be like compliance. And I'd be like, I don't even know what that is. And also like, is that really what I want to be doing? Um, It just felt like it was very difficult to find examples of people who'd gone on to do other things that weren't like very legal adjacent or were like, you know, some like celebrity who like used to practice law where it's like, okay, that's not like, that's not replicable. That's not like a career path that someone can like, I mean, some people could, but like, it's not something that most people are going to like pursue. And so the, the original thing that I just, that was really important to me was just like um, having stories that people could listen to, to know that like, Oh, there are other things to do and this is how people have figured it out and this is what it's actually like to do that other type of work um i actually didn't really do very many solo episodes at all until basically a year into the podcast when the pandemic started because uh we had two working parents at home with two young kids our kids were four and 18 months at the time and like i at that time was doing all the things i did all the editing of the podcast literally everything that happened in former lawyer i did and i just did not have the capacity to like edit a 45 minute to an hour conversation. <laughs> yeah. And so I started doing like a, some like sort of mini episodes, just like five minutes of me talking about various topics that had come up or like things that I was hearing often from people. And they actually have been like very popular. They're, pro- they're at least as popular as the, as the interviews. So now I actually typically do like an interview and the next week it's a solo episode. The next week it's an interview. Okay. Um, and especially now that I, I have so many lawyers who I have worked with and I am working with, like, there's, there are a lot of things that come up in my conversations with clients that I then realize like, oh, I could make a solo episode about this, um, like talking about this issue or this question that people have that I know has to exist out there because it exists with the people that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so now it's more of a mix. Uh, but when it started, it was interviews all the time. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and nothing wrong with it. I mean, in fact, often it's harder or more difficult when mm. you have a guest because you guys have to reschedule or you your energy is off or it's it's a lot more. You know, you just have another person that you have to um, manage. So. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so also let's talk about your different programs. So someone can sign up to do, is it group coursework or then it's individual one-on-one coaching? Yeah. So basically like the sort of like entry level program that I have is called the former lawyer collaborative. And that is something that people can join at any time. And it is basically like a, it's sort of like a course group hybrid. So um, there's a community on circle, which we now have uh, like almost 230 lawyers in there. And so you can like, for anyone who's not familiar, you know, it's like all of one of the many like apps, community apps. So you can like talk with other lawyers who are in the program, ask questions. Um, And then there's also a, a curriculum that I call the former lawyer framework where I basically have like built out a like this is a process you can go through to go from like I have no idea what I want to do other than I don't want to be doing this to actually identifying like what things might be a good fit for you and figuring out if they are and positioning yourself with like resume for non-legal job all of that um so that's the collab and we also have a monthly call like once a month just to like for people to be able to ask questions about you know wherever they are in the process um so that's the collab and then basically I have two things that are sort of like uh, add-ons to the collab. One is the guided track, which I typically run in the fall and the spring, and it's a small group. So basically it's people, you become a collab member and then we meet for 10 weeks as, as like uh, with a small group, like I'm starting one next week actually, and it's capped at eight people. And basically people are working through the framework over the 10 weeks and every call it's like, okay, you're coming to this call and we're going to discuss this piece. Um, and that's really for people who like want more of that, like I need to know that I'm going to go to a call and someone's going to ask me like, yeah. did you do this thing? I need to prepare. I mean, I don't ask people, but um, just like, it's more helpful for like, for some people in terms of having that like additional level of accountability. And then I do a similar thing basically, but one-on-one. So people come into the collab and then they have an action plan that they work through in right now it's eight weeks and that we meet, like I meet with them one-on-one virtually once a week to talk through like, okay, these are the things you did this week and how to go and what were the results and like, where are you going next? Um, okay. So yeah, that is, that is a, a brief or not so brief <laughs> overview of like the ways that I work with people. Um, but really all of them are geared towards like moving people through that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people will contact me and they'll be like, I have no idea what I want to do. Is this the right program for me? And I'm like, literally this program was built for you. Yeah. Um, because that's who I was. I was like, I do not want to do this. I have no idea what it is that I want to do, but it is, this is not it. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not this. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Very cool. And so when you were younger or even in law school, did you ever imagine yourself as an entrepreneur? (laughs) Um, Gosh, no. I mean, I, so I am in so many ways, I do not think of myself as like the stereotypical uh, entrepreneur personality. I am very, like I said, I'm a rule follower. I am very like very risk averse i don't like just trying things without knowing that they're going to succeed which is literally your whole job as an entrepreneur it's just like do things and then 
there will be various degrees of failure and then like you learn and then you adjust. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so it's been for a little over four years now when we're recording actually today that we're talking the 200th episode of the podcast released today, which is wild. But, um, I, I have being an entrepreneur has been, uh, probably like the most challenging thing that I've done for my personality Mm -hmm. um, because of the fact that like I would, a a lot of people who are entrepreneurs will be like, I'm just unemployable. Like I can't, like I always knew I didn't want to work for someone else. I am like, I am a rule follower. Who is the person in charge? What do they need done? Great. Tell me and I will do it. And so, um, so I'm here doing what I'm doing, not really because I, it's, it's almost like the podcast and the work is what made me an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. not me saying I want to be an entrepreneur, if that makes sense. No, it does. I think that podcasting has like a little seed of entrepreneurial in it because you have mm-hmm. to be creating something that doesn't exist because if it existed, you would have just been listening to that. So yeah. I already think it has a little tiny seed in it. And I think that's what helps lawyers kind of start to branch out because I, I've loved getting a regular steady check my whole life. I used to laugh at people. Why would you have, why would you run a business? This is so silly. Like, <laughs> you know, you're getting paid. And the jobs when I would get paid once a month were even better. Cause it was like, Oh my God, I can maximize this for a whole month. I loved it. And so now it's like, if I have time for five discovery calls or if I only want one, it depends on how mm. much money I make, but it's kind yeah. of fun. Like I've pivoted, to say that lawyers enjoy risk because I'm like, with all of my training, all of my research skills, all of my background, I know whatever chance and risk I take, I can calculate that I could succeed, but I probably won't fail, which is what I've learned. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. law school it teaches you to yeah. be a catastrophist, but it's kind of like yes. the odds are you probably, you're already thinking about them because you can't turn it off. So you probably yeah. will really succeed if you just do it. <laughs> and so... I've kind of pivoted to, well, honestly, I taught myself how to have a growth mindset. And so now I'm like, I bet it will work if I just did it. And it's been working. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think so much of it too is the unlearning what I think we're taught often in law school and in the legal profession, not necessarily explicitly, like people are saying this, but just like by the nature of the environment, unlearning, like everyone needs to be impressed by me all the time. And just accepting like one, some people are not going to be impressed with you no matter how impressive you are. And two, that's actually not true. You do not need to always Mm -hmm. convey this sense of like, I know everything all the time in the way that we are trained to in the legal profession. Um, And in fact, like it's, it's uh, the opposite, like you said, of a growth mindset. It is. It's like, just, just be who you are. And Somewhere that gets lost, we step onto that, you know, law school, law firm conveyor belt, and we just forget you don't have to be on, you don't have to be showing, you don't have to be impress yourself and let that be it, right? Like you don't need the validation, just give it to yourself. So I'm glad that you're recording and that you had your 200th episode came out in September 2023. And I'm really, really excited for you. I can't wait to see what continues to happen with former lawyer. Well, thank you. I create things that I wish that I had when I was in a place that was not good. So if you're a lawyer and you're listening and you're like, get me out of here, definitely check out the podcast because just knowing that what is possible, Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially when you're in the lawyer bubble can be so huge. Yeah. 
because it can feel like there is nothing outside of this. And there's everything outside of it, literally. Yes, just, all the things. In handcuffs, you just forget. You're just like, what else exists outside of here? And it's like literally everything. This is one profession. Yes. Um, yes. I don't know how. Literally everything. <laughs> no, literally. Like, yeah, we just get yeah. such like tunnel vision. It's, it's wild. Um, it's part 100%. of our training. It's part of following the rules. It's part of it's part of it, but it doesn't have to be all of it. Okay, that's what we're trying yeah. to say. So, yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been amazing. All right, so you enjoy the rest of your day. Do you too. Uh, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.